I'm Katie Barber. Now here's Jack Riccardi. All right, Katie, thank you. Good afternoon, TGIF. I think we can all agree that if somebody has a solution to a big problem that fits into one sentence, you should beware. Let the buyer beware. So Lindsey Graham has decided he knows what to do about Putin and the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Lindsey Graham is somebody I personally cannot take seriously. He, When we were talking the other night about uh, wannabe Trumps and people that think they get it but don't really get it, he's if that was a Wikipedia article, he would be the clip art with that article. He is Exhibit A for, for that whole conversation. But anyway, Lindsey Graham went on Fox News and said uh, this is what we need to do about Putin invading Ukraine. How does this end? Somebody in Russia has to step up to the plate. Is there Brutus in Russia? Is there a more successful Colonel Stoppenberg in the <coughs> Russian military? The only way this ends, my friend, is for somebody in Russia to take this guy out. You would be doing your country a great service and the world a great service. Mm. Um, Stoffenberg was the German colonel who went to a conference with Hitler in 1944, had a bomb in his briefcase, put the briefcase under the table near Hitler. It was a plot that several officers, high-ranking officers, were in on because the Germans were losing the war, and if we kill Hitler, we can we can sue for peace. And the bomb went off. It wounded Hitler, uh, but it didn't kill him. Stauffenberg was not able to escape, and a number of them were uh, put to death for trying to kill Hitler. Um, look... Here, here's the problem with that, okay, and it's it's it should be obvious to somebody like Lindsey Graham. It probably is obvious to him. He's just trying to get some face time on television. Vladimir Putin is not the embodiment of this whole idea that Ukraine is part of Russia or that the Ukrainians and the Russians are one people. Vladimir Putin may be the head of state, but he is um, only one of many people in the elite structure in the ideological world of Moscow who believe this. This is not even an original idea to Vladimir Putin. In other words, like our, like our politicians, you know, you, you know how it is when our politicians have an idea, it isn't really their idea, it's an idea they heard from somebody or one of their advisors gave them, right? So Vladimir Putin is like that. Somebody has told him this is a good strategy or this is a, an idea or this should be your vision. And if somebody does Stauffenberg him, there will be somebody else. And that vision, that idea, will still be there. It is very, very silly to think that all of a sudden Russia would turn into this rational, we care about what the world thinks about us uh, country. They're, in, they're, they're famous for their paranoia. If somebody, some internal plot, took out Putin... Can you imagine what that paranoia would be like then? So I'm not rooting for Putin, but let's let's be honest, this is a dumb idea. Or at least it's a very dumb thing to hope for. It doesn't get you off the hook with Ukraine. But that's only one of the hot takes that's out there today uh, about Ukraine. The other hot take you're hearing a lot today, it's been bubbling up over the last few days, and today it's really popular. We need to do a no-fly zone... In the skies over Ukraine, we need to take control of the skies, and that will help the Ukrainians down on the ground in their valiant fight 
against the Russians. NATO has said no to the no-fly zone. That hasn't deterred the people in this country that still like the idea. They're saying, well, fine then. If NATO won't do it, we'll do it. By the way, many of these are the same people who don't think we can ever do anything without NATO or the UN. But they like this idea so much, they're willing to go it alone. And here's the problem with the no-fly zone. The no-fly zone, and by the way, it's not the problem that a lot of people retort, which is, oh, well, it will escalate and we'll have to shoot down Russian planes. Of course we will. Yes, that's, that is baked into the cake. The problem with the no-fly zone, for me, this is just how I see it, it's incremental war. In other words, you want to do something, but you don't want to do the whole thing. So let's just do something. Let's just take a little nibble. Let's just take a little bite. Let's just dip our toe in the water. But we don't want to go all in. We don't want a war with Russia. Well, we just want a little bit of war with Russia. It reminds me of Michael Scott on The Office when somebody said, are you superstitious? And he said, no, I'm just a little stitious. So incremental war has always gotten us into the worst messes we've been in in our history. The Vietnam War started incrementally. We're just going to do this, but nothing else. We're just going to do this and this, but nothing else. We're just going to do this, this, and this, but nothing else. We're not going to go all in. American boys aren't going to fight. And eventually we were all the way in, right? But but the, the way we got in, bit by bit, incremental piece by incremental piece, always with an eye on how it was polling and the politics of it, was disastrous. And it wasn't a commitment to win. I don't know if you've noticed, but every war we've started lately has become a forever war. And the reason for that is very simple. We don't commit to total war. I'm not, I'm not rooting for war, and I'm not suggesting we should commit to total war in Ukraine. But if you're going to fight a war, you have to commit. You have to go all in. You have to put everything into it. You have to be willing to annihilate your opponent. You have to be willing to crush him into total submission, unconditional surrender. That's what FDR realized would be necessary in World War II. If he had done that incrementally, we would have been fighting that war another 20 years. And maybe not to any conclusion. So you have to, you, you cannot back into war. So when people try to sell you the no-fly zone, find out how far are you really willing to go, because you're going to have to go a lot further than that. And we've got to stop this nonsense of thinking that Putin can be shamed out of doing what he's doing. Putin is operating on a system of ideas and values that are very different from ours. There is no global community. There is no community of nations. I'm sorry, but there isn't. That's just rhetoric. You've heard it your whole life. It's hard to believe it isn't a real thing, but it's not. And he's doing a version, his version, their version, of national identity or national greatness or nationalism. I'm not defending it. It's brutal. And, of course, like you, I admire the pluck and the resistance of the Ukrainians. And like you, I want to 
I want to see them prevail. But we've got to be realistic about this. People like Lindsey Graham and, and Kamala Harris are not serious people. If they're, if they're the tip of our spear, if they're the answer, then we don't have one. That's what I think. I want to know what you think. 210-599-5555. We're going to talk about it right here. Um, yeah, the White House is sending Kamala Harris back to Europe. Um, it wasn't bad enough. They sent her once. She's a walking disaster. Uh, she sounds ludicrously unprepared when she talks publicly about this stuff. You can only imagine what the behind-closed-doors conferences must be like. But they're sending her back to negotiate and show uh, solidarity with Ukraine. And that's not the move of a serious country, okay? And you can call me whatever you want to call me. You can call me a racist or a misogynist or whatever, but she is not good enough for this job. Why not President Biden? He said that he was a foreign policy expert, that he had been immersed in foreign policy for his long Senate career. He sold that as one of the attributes of his presidency. Why isn't he going? Other presidents have gone directly to helm our diplomacy. Reagan did it. Kennedy did it. Clinton did it. And Biden's the foreign policy guy, so he says. Or Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State. Why isn't he going? You're sending Kamala Harris for a reason, and we all know what it is. It's optics. It's equity. It's posing. In the most serious moment the world has seen in decades, here we are doing a typically unserious, cosmetic, you know, woke thing. There's another reason right there not to get into incremental war. These people aren't smart enough, shrewd enough to handle it. Do you really want a no-fly zone with a minute-by-minute hair-trigger decisions that would have to be made in the hands of an administration that thinks Kamala Harris should be sent over to lead our negotiations. And then there was a big story last night about um, a fire at the biggest nuclear power plant in Ukraine. In fact, I hear it's the biggest one in Europe. Uh, It's a big plant that supplies over a quarter of all the electricity to Ukraine. It came under Russian fire and and it caught, and the, and some of the buildings on the complex caught fire. And that sounded pretty, pretty bad, right? Until we found out that the buildings that were hit and were burning were administrative buildings. You know, a nuclear plant isn't one building. It isn't a plant. It's a complex, whether it's in this country or any other country. You've got the reactor buildings, but then you also have the buildings where people eat their lunch and drink coffee and where they have offices and where they keep records and, and so forth. So there's many different buildings. And it was one of those other buildings that was burning, and so the plant didn't fail or have a meltdown or anything like that. I noticed, though, that as that became clear, the media continued to hang on to this story with white-knuckled excitement. And I just, I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking this, but I get the feeling that we're going to hear a lot more about the fire at the Ukraine nuclear plant for this reason. Nuclear power is about to become a big decision that the Western world has to make. You know why. We've covered it. Uh, Some countries are rushing to uh, build it. 
Invest in it. Embrace it. France already has. Germany made a big decision this week to do it. Our country is running away from it and afraid of it. Our leaders refuse to embrace it. They truly believe windmills will be better. This incident at the nuclear plant is perfect if you want to make sure people remain frightened in the way they were after Three Mile Island and Chernobyl. Again, it wasn't a meltdown. It wasn't anything close to a meltdown. But mark my words, I may be wrong about this, but I think I'm right. We're going to hear a lot more about this, and this is going to be a cautionary tale. You don't want nuclear plants. You don't want to have a, you know, look what almost happened. Everything about this story, which really isn't about us, the politicians are making all about us. They're taking every little bit and piece of it and fitting it into their own puzzle, whether the pieces fit precisely or not. And this will be just one more example. Just like when John Kerry was worried that the invasion of Ukraine would distract from uh, the uh, alarm over climate change. You know, no matter what it is, it's always part of their agenda, right? So there are two terrible takes, two hot takes on Ukraine today. Uh, Lindsey Graham wants uh, uh, there to be a, uh, you know, uh, a Brutus Julius Caesar kind of thing. By the way, this isn't Lindsey Graham's original idea. I mean, people have been saying this for days. He's just decided to, you know, every so often he gets his, uh, he, he has these McCain, you know, moments or these McCain, McCainisms where he decides he wants to be the, the, uh, the, the voice of the, um, you know, Reaganite, Buchananite, uh, Republican Party, but he's, he's a fake. He's not real. The people, even people that, that believe those things don't trust Lindsey Graham. So he's a, he's a pretender. Uh, to me, he's like a political cross-dresser. He's a political drag queen. You know, you don't know what he really is, but he's certainly not what he's dressed up as. It, it is, it is, um, woven all through our history. Whether we did it or we encourage someone to do it, when we've had these little plots, these little ideas to eliminate an inconvenient foreign leader, whether it was in Europe, whether it was in the Middle East, whether it was in Africa, whether it was in Central America, whether it was in Vietnam, where we uh, encouraged the assassination of the president of South Vietnam three weeks before the assassination of our own president. And if you don't think that uh, caused some panic and some freakouts in Washington in November 1963. The problem with this always is you don't control what comes next. You don't control who comes next. Even if you have a hand-picked successor, you unleash chaos. So no, um, I, I wouldn't cry crocodile tears if we woke up tomorrow morning to the news that something had happened to Putin. He wasn't coming down for breakfast. But that doesn't get us off the hook here. It just doesn't. I mean, you'd have to believe that behind Putin are somehow these reasonable, Western-oriented, sympathetic uh, guys and gals. Where, where are you getting that idea? You know, what, what color is the sky in your world? And then the other hot take is we should have a no-fly zone, uh, which we would have to do. Um, and I, I know we can. I'm, I'm sure we could, and it would probably be very satisfying. I mean, the first time you saw uh, one of our uh, planes shoot down one of those Russian helicopters, it'd probably be a great feeling. But I'm telling you, that doesn't that doesn't solve this because one thing leads to another, leads to another, and you you can't stop with just a no fly zone. 
So if you are going to go to war, you have to go to war. I'm not saying we should. I didn't vote for this administration. I didn't vote for the guy who on day one made Russia our third leading oil supplier. I didn't, this isn't, this was not a, you know, Putin is responsible for invading Ukraine. That's his fault. That's on him. But our weakness and our uh, exposure in this is something I didn't vote for it. I wouldn't have put us in this position. So now that we're in it, um, I'm terribly sorry, but we're going to be in it for a while. Um, I'm also not one of those people who believes, well, this doesn't have anything to do with us. I hate when people say, well, we should just concentrate on the southern border. We can do both. We can do a lot of things at once. We don't get to say because our southern border is not secured, what's happening to the Ukrainians doesn't matter or is irrelevant. That's that's nonsense. So it, what what's happening there is important, and it does matter for humanitarian reasons, for geopolitical reasons. It, it's important. But they're going to have to fight this battle themselves. We can arm them. We can uh, provide them with, the best intelligence to make the Russian movement and occupation as bloody and as prolonged and protracted as possible. Because as you've heard every expert we've had on the show the last two weeks say, the longer this goes on, the more of a hollow victory it would be for Russia. The more, the more, the more they'd be sorry they ever went into Ukraine. I mean, that's basically what you can do at this point. They've got it, but you can make them sorry. Um, and, and I heard, uh, I forget who it was, but somebody even sort of compared the situation Ukraine is in to our war in 1776. You know, we, we came to the attention of the whole world with our revolt against Britain, but Britain was the most powerful country in the world. It was the nuclear power of the 18th century, if you will. Nobody wanted to tangle with or become an enemy inadvertently of Britain. So the kind of aid we got, our rebels, our Ukrainians got, was mostly um, off the books uh, and, um, you know, kind of um, support but not invading, you know, proxy war but not going uh, head-to-head with the British. We had to fight them. We got help. We got support. We got naval support, we got logistical support, but we didn't, we didn't have a bunch of other countries on our soil standing next to us saying, we'll, your fight is our fight, we'll fight them too. They weren't going to do that for the same reason that countries aren't going to fight Russia today. I, I'm sorry this isn't what people want to hear, but this is the truth. And that's probably where we're at now with Ukraine. So don't get me wrong. I want to help them. I'm pulling for them. Um, but we're going to we're we're going to have to make a decision, unless we are not willing to go all in total war. Then doing these incremental things just backs us into that. We'll wind up in that situation anyway. Only we'll be much the poorer for it. And you know that because you've seen this movie before, right? And and this could be a very long war. You know, this could go on for a long time in the sense that there will be resistance and, and pockets of resistance and, um, you know, uh, flare-ups. 
And the reason for that is that it'll be inconclusive. And that's how we fight now. That's how we go to war now. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not saying that to insult our military. I know they're capable of total war. They're just not going to get the order to go to total war. And that's the difference between the wars that we fought to a victory, where there was the surrender of an enemy, and the wars we fight today that just sort of go on forever. And then, as we saw in Afghanistan last summer, politicians suddenly decide, okay, we're done here, and in a way that is bloody and unsatisfying and dangerous, they just leave. I'm not a fan of today's leading ideas, no-fly zone or... Uh, take out Putin, but maybe you are, and let's hear about that, 210-599-5555. Um, there's a lot of historical comparisons being drawn. Oh, Ukraine is Poland in 1939. Ukraine is this, Ukraine is that. Ukraine, Ukraine might be us in 1776. Uh, but um, one thing we, there's a few things I think we can we can sort of, pull out of the history books or see a pattern in the history. And and, and one thing is that uh, when people um, win their own freedom and fight for their own freedom and fight for their own country, that's the most lasting kind. When it's done for you, when it's obtained for you, when it's given to you, somehow that doesn't last as long. It's not as, maybe it's not as appreciated, you know, just sort of like the old axiom that you, if you earn that pair of shoes, you take care of those shoes. If somebody buys you the shoes, you lose them, you forget about them, you wear them out. I, I, I don't know. I, I, think, I, think it's, I think it's probably true that this is their fight, um, and they will be the ones to fight it. We can help them. We can arm them. We can give them intel. We can uh, show our support here back home. We can let them know the world is pulling for them, praying for them. You know, there's a spiritual component to this that's very real, very powerful. Our politicians don't talk about it because they're afraid of these things. But the church is a powerful cultural force in Ukrainian society. And the bravery you're seeing on your television screens, if you're wondering, what, what is it with these people? They they don't believe this is it. They don't believe this life is all there is. And you live differently when you believe that. So we have secular leadership in the West, but they're spiritual people. And then I think um, everybody's trying to analyze Putin, and we should have been doing that all along. You can't make up for 20 years of neglect in two weeks, but one thing that I've thought a lot about is um, that Putin is probably like a lot of leaders in the world in the sense that, you know, we think that we have all the answers here in the United States. We've, We've figured out what to do about everything, you know, and what we do about masks, about vaccines, about hate speech, about wokeness, about equity and diversity. Everyone should do that. That's right for the whole world. It's funny how we think that, but we would never say to the whole world, you all ought to speak English. We'd never say that. But we do think they ought to have every other society, every other country should have our attitudes about morals and values and right and wrong and they don't 
They don't. So I'm not defending Putin when I say this, but Putin comes from a tradition that thinks we're crazy about this stuff, that we've got this stuff all wrong, that we're morally decrepit. He looks at the, you know, the, the guy swimming on the girls' swim team and the bathroom locker room thing, and, you know, he doesn't see a, a, a society that's trying to be diverse and equitable. He sees a society that's lost their freaking minds and lost their freaking way and thinks, I, I don't have to fear these people. And again, I'm not defending him. I'm not saying he's right or I want his side or his thinking to prevail. I don't. But in our myopia, in our bubble, we've come to think that everybody has the same standards or rules that we've imposed on ourselves. You hear it, you hear it when you hear people say community of nations, brotherhood of man. I, I, today I heard some military guy, some retired military guy, I don't mean that disrespectfully, I just really don't remember his name or his rank, but he was on one of the television stations, and he was saying um, the most powerful thing we could do right now is declare Vladimir Putin a war criminal. Well, that's a powerful phrase to us. Do you think us calling him that would be powerful to him? Really? Imagine what a bubble you have to live in to think that if we use strong language, he will be stopped in his tracks. And yet that's how we're talking right now. That's how we look to him right now. 210-599-5555. All right, so where are you on it? And then speaking of COVID, read a great piece today at notthebead.com. I want to read you some of this. I don't usually read stuff right out of the article, but I want to read a little of this to you because it's so well said. The headline is, Take a moment to appreciate how radically the COVID narrative has changed in just a few months. Daniel Payne is the author. He writes, For two years now, we've been told that authorities, experts, and business leaders are following the science when it comes to COVID. Every decision, every policy, every rule was said to emanate from the science. To question any measure was to question the science, and that marked you as anti-science. But it's crazy how quickly the science can shift, isn't it, he writes. When you look at the state of things in early March 2022, it doesn't look anything like, say, December 2021. In fact, March looks different from early February. And then he gives a number of examples. Last month, CDC took a firm stance against relaxing masking guidance. We are not there yet, they said. Last month. Fifteen days later, there were new CDC guidelines on masking that took about three-quarters of us out of our masks. He writes, what a flip from 15 days to slow the spread to 15 days to demask the head. I guess Dr. Fauci's definition of gradual is different from yours or mine's or really anyone's. How technically can Walensky still argue that it's too soon for all Americans to demask, given that there are many Americans whom the CDC insists still must wear face masks. But in a modern 21st century civilization where viruses can spread to every single state over the course of 24 hours, there's no real difference between 70% and all, is there? And then he says, what about business leaders? In December, Google announced they would dock the pay, fire the staff of anyone who wouldn't get the vaccine. And they started doing it. Several weeks later, they announced that worker perks like massages and lounges were coming back and you won't need a vaccine to get them. So it's from, they went from you're fired if you're not vaccinated to how would you like a neck rub 
if you're not vaccinated. COVID was so high at the start of the year that Congress was passing out professional-grade masks to all its members. Eight weeks later, Congress could gather in joint session for the State of the Union speech with no masks. Isn't that wild, he writes. Barely two months later, and just 24 hours before an embattled president delivered a desperate speech to boost his miserable poll numbers, the masks came off. Seems like there's been a huge shift in pandemic policy. He's right. He's right. These last several weeks are the single best rebuttal to the last two years. So for two years, you and I said, are they sure? Do they know? Are they making it up? Do they really have science? Is this the science? What about this other science? And remember, just questioning it, not defying it or or, or um, actually breaking any rules but if you just if you just said you were thinking about it or you thought maybe you would was enough to get you thrown off the island and now here we are i remember hearing people say in 2020 i think trump said it you watch after the election this will all go because they won't have need for it And he was half right, and the people who said it were half right. They didn't need it. It's just that they needed it a little longer than we thought. They needed it until now. They tried to hold on to it longer. They did hold on to it longer. But finally, they were forced to give. And you did that, by the way. You, I, I don't, I don't believe that the science changed. I think that they ran into you. And not only did you stop obeying and complying, but you made it clear you were going to start punishing the people that had lorded this over you for two years. And by you, I don't just mean the American voter. I mean, you look around the world. The gig is up. And it's up almost as fast as it started. Um, yeah, so we've been talking about uh, Ukraine and Russia and COVID. And uh, I saw where the NFL, uh, they're going to be the first, I'm sure not the last, first major American sports league to announce yesterday suspending all aspects of COVID protocols. So they've sent a memo out last night to all the teams uh, saying that based on the trends, and uh, so forth, uh, and they cited CDC and they cited state laws. Uh, they will um, not have to uh, do the things with uh, surveillance testing and uh, masking requirements and things like that. It was interesting. They mentioned in passing that they also did this in negotiation with the union, the players' union. And um, remember yesterday we told you that California and Los Angeles are lifting their masking requirements, but the L.A. school district, it's called the L.A. Unified School District, could not lift the mask requirement for kids until they had the permission of the union. I can't think of anything less sciency than um, leaving science 
at the mercy of union negotiations. No disrespect to union membership. My grandfather and my father were union members. I was at one time a union member. But look, that's not science. That's just politics. That's just negotiation. And everybody sees that, right? Everybody sees that that's what this is. What it either became or maybe was all along. 210-599-5555. Now, I, somebody found, oh, uh, Harmeet Dillon found this. Um, she's a Republican National Committee woman from California. Very smart lady. You probably, you, you, you may not know the name, but you would recognize her. She's on, uh, Fox a lot. She, um, tweeted out a clip of then Senator Joe Biden. This is 2005. So George W. Bush has a Supreme Court vacancy and names are being floated. You know, there's a short list of names to be appointed to the Supreme Court. And Joe Biden is on one of the Sunday morning shows. And, and because he's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. And he's talking about his plans to filibuster one of the names that President Bush was considering. An African-American federal judge named Janice Rogers Brown. So listen to what. 2005, Joe Biden says about what would have been the first African-American woman to sit on the Supreme Court. Take a listen. But I have no intention to fill a somebody. It depends on who the president sends. But I could see a circumstance. Mm-hmm. For example, if he set up Edith Jones, I can assure you that would be a very, very, very difficult fight, and she probably would be filibustered. What about what, Janice what, Rogers Brown? Someone else. Me, I'm, 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 I'm not, by the way, I misspoke. I misspoke. Janice Rogers Brown is what I meant to say. Oh, okay. I misspoke. Thank but, you for but, saying but wasn't she? Janice wasn't Rogers she Brown just? Was wasn't she just confirmed though? How do you invoke the extraordinary circumstances yes. clause of the agreement of the Gang of Fourteen for somebody who's just why. been confirmed? Because a circuit court of a judge is bound by stare decisis. They don't get to make new law. They have to abide by the, for example, she So, so what you're saying is the Supreme a, Court's different than different the Different ballgame. Right. Okay. Totally different ballgame. Hmm. Different ballgame. And so even though that would have been the first African-American woman on the Supreme Court, I might have to filibuster her. So all, all I'm saying is, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bringing this up as an argument against um, the president's nominee, nor am I suggesting that the Republicans should filibuster her. All I'm saying is, for anyone that cares to look even a little bit closely, the whole, I am consumed with the importance of of getting an African-American woman, and it's it's high time and it's overdue and this is an outrage that it's taken this long. That is all as phony as a $3 bill. That is completely phony. Because Joe Biden, the senator, you bring him an African-American woman who's a Clarence Thomas or an Antonin Scalia or an Amy Coney Barrett, and all of a sudden, he's not interested in busting glass ceilings and making history at all. And I'm sure that his nominee knows that. I don't blame her for, I mean, she, she probably would love to be on the Supreme Court. I'm, I'm sure it's the aspiration of most federal judges. So I'm not saying she shouldn't follow through, but boy, 
What must it be like to know? To know what the real score is. To know that that guy standing next to you, introducing you at the lectern, is just full of it. Everybody smile for the cameras. 210-599-5555. Oh, they've, um, speaking of the Supreme Court, uh, they have reinstated the death penalty for Jokar Zarnayev. Remember him? Jokar Zarnayev was the uh, 2013 Boston Marathon bomber. Three people were killed in that attack. Hundreds were wounded, and then a police officer was killed by Jokar and his uh, brother Tamerlan, who we call Speed Bump because Jokar ran over him getting away from the police. By a 6-3 to three vote, the Supreme Court reinstated the death sentence. An appeals court had set aside uh, Zarnayev's uh, sentence uh, two years ago because they felt that the trial judge had made a mistake in not allowing some mitigating evidence during the sentencing. But the Supremes found by a 6-3 to three vote that those issues were uh, not valid. The dissenters were Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan. Problem is, even though they reinstated the death penalty, this administration's put a moratorium on the death penalty, um, and there aren't going to be any executions anytime soon. So, Jokar Zarnayev uh, will probably still be living in prison when you and I aren't living at all. Hey, Katie, are you feeling appreciated at work? Um, <laughs> by my coworkers, yes. <laughs> did you notice? Did you notice how she went? She was on a roll. She was tearing through the news, and then she just stopped because that felt like a trap, didn't it? Just a bit, but I'm curious. I didn't to see mean where this to. I'm go. sorry. <laughs> well, today is National Appreci- uh, Employee Appreciation Day. Oh. Uh, apparently, I don't know why it's today or who decides these things. You know, we always have these these calendar events, and I don't know who has control over them. But, yeah, today, March 4th, is Employee Appreciation Day. So we're asking people on the JR poll question, do you feel appreciated at work? I realize that given that we're on the air, you really can only give one answer. So, Yes, definitely not. Yes! <laughs> feel very appreciated. I'd like to thank the Academy. Um, I don't know. I like I when I started out in radio um and I I pretty much have only worked in radio I had one job in a in a drugstore when I was in high school but everything after that was were radio jobs so I never thought about appreciation because I appreciated that they were letting me do this you know like that was how I looked at it I'm so glad they're letting me this kid with no experience do these things and be on the radio and do the news or do whatever I did that it never occurred to me till many years later that the employer was supposed to show any kind of appreciation to me. Does that make sense? I guess I just thought, you know, hey. So I know that this is a thing now with people in the in the in the new modern workplace. Uh, they there's there's all kinds of analysis. There are articles. There are consultants about how you have to make um, your employees feel appreciated. And I don't know if your company is doing anything today or announcing anything this week, but recognition, appreciation, affirmation. Oh, it's very important because you got to motivate them and you got to retain them. And, um, 
forgive me for being kind of a cynic. I'm 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 kind of a crank guy, but I feel the same way about employee appreciation that I do about Christmas parties, uh, company Christmas parties. I would just rather have the money that you spent on it. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, thanks and all, but instead of the appreciation gift or the, you know, logo wear or the, you know, just how about you just kick cut everybody a check or put a little extra something in everybody's paycheck. But but uh, that's our question on the poll. Almost everybody is saying, yes, I feel very appreciated. Absolutely. Very happy. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, where are you at? Do you feel appreciated at work? Tell me, 210-599-5555. Boss, probably not listening to this show, so you're all right. You can tell me. Remember, um, we talked a while back about excuse signs. And if you missed that, we were talking about the phenomenon of uh, businesses putting a... Um, especially restaurants, but it's really a lot of businesses. When you go to, to walk in the door of a business, more and more you would see a sign that prepared you for disappointment. Before you ever got in to buy anything, order anything, drink anything, eat anything, they were letting you know, we don't have everything, we don't have stuff, we're, we're understaffed, we're understocked. We're not getting deliveries. We can't make this. We don't offer that. Not everything on our menu is available. I went in a restaurant a few weeks ago with a buddy of mine. We're walking in the door, and the sign on the door actually said, don't expect to be greeted right away. <laughs> Lower your expectations. So we call them excuse signs. And um, I was just thinking today, I wonder if they'll update the excuse signs now for the Ukraine war. And what I mean by that is that COVID and the supply chain were the old excuses. But now, if you need an excuse to kind of cover all sins, you can just say, well, during the war, because of the war, due to disruption caused by the war. And who's going to question that, right? I mean, if, if a business says, we can't make you a hamburger because Russia invaded Ukraine, you're... Uh, okay. All right. I'm wondering. We'll see. 210-599-5555. By the way, um, people in the know, people that do logistics and so forth, say the supply chains are the front lines of the new Cold War. Uh, a guy named Craig Fuller wrote an article saying, we're witnessing the remaking of the world order in front of our eyes. We're about to experience the most dramatic and unpredictable supply chain map we've experienced since World War II. Um, and uh, supply chains will be affected, and, and he goes on to say, not only inadvertently, but also on purpose. In other words, a new way to wage war is to disrupt the consumption of goods and the availability of goods and services uh, in your opponent's country. In other words, you, you know, this is the new version of bombing the cities, right? We're gonna, we're gonna disrupt the supply chain. So we're not just gonna fight you militarily or geopolitically, but we'll make sure your, your countrymen, your people feel the pinch. And, uh, the supply chains already reeling from two years of COVID-19, he writes, now are gonna be, uh, affected by the spreading, you know, conflict. Uh, in Europe. 
By the way, he says, if you want a really good major for college, if you want to plan a career, people that do supply chain analysis and logistics, it's going to be the hottest job of the next decade. All right. Employee Appreciation Day. Are you feeling it? Matt is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Matt, happy Friday. Good afternoon. Happy Friday to you. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, um, at work, I feel appreciated, but I tell you, it feels a little unsettling. Like, it's not legitimate. It's it's it's, it's just wrong because, you know, I'm about your age as well. And, and growing up, in, in the stores that my dad ran, in every store, the he always had a sign hanging up that said, the reward for work well done is the opportunity to do more. Mm. And I think that's all we should really expect to do is just do your job, yeah. do it well, and you'll be able to keep your yeah. job. But it seems to be fake and phony when they puff you up. and uh, It's just wrong. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's just the old school in me. I guess it is. I mean, I guess we have to just realize that, that younger workers expect they have a different set of expectations. And, and the stuff that I was making fun of is probably stuff that actually matters to them. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, it ain't right. But for me, I just assume they took the money that they spent on all the appreciation uh, things and just kicked that into the paycheck. You know what I mean? Sure. Certainly should. Yeah. All right, Matt. Thank hey, you, yeah. sir. Appreciate having you. Uh, Stephen is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Hi, Stephen. How you doing, sir? Good to hear your voice again. Oh, well, thank you. About, I, I feel appreciated. I work at a motorcycle shop. And my boss just gave me a really nice electric bicycle to ride to work every day, so I'm pretty really. Happy. Yeah. Wow. Tell me about that. How, how, how have you ever have you ever ridden one before? Or is this the first time? No, we we sell them. We sold them for about two years, and I ride them all over the. Oh, place, okay. You know, oh, okay. But he gave like you that. one to use. He, he gave, gave you one, one you could use yourself. To use to ride to work every day because I only live downtown. The shop's not too far away. So. Okay. Uh, what's the range on those things? You got about, if you pedal a little bit, you get about 30 miles. If you don't pedal and just use all electric, you get 20, 25, somewhere around there. Okay. So the range, the range and is are they... far yet. The battery technology is still not there yet, but right. that's one of the things about them. How but, popular are know, they? Are, are I see them around. I wonder, are they are they very popular or are they still kind of new to people? They're catching on. You know what I mean? Like it took a while for people mm-hmm. here to ride bicycles, but they're all over the place now, downtown and all over the place, mm-hmm. but. The bicycles, we've sold a lot of them in the last few years. So a lot of people live downtown, put them on the mm-hmm. back of RVs to ride around the parks and stuff. So they seem to be catching on. An e-bike. All right. Well, I'm glad you're appreciated, and I'm glad you got that. Stephen, thanks. Good to hear from you. So we've been talking about um, there's a couple of hot takes on the Ukraine war today that you should not fall in love with. Um, don't Don't fall for hot take number one is a Lindsey Graham special. Wouldn't it be great if somebody killed Putin? Well, whether it would be or it wouldn't be, um, next man up isn't going to be, you know, a Madisonian Democrat. Um, there is a whole ideology about this question of Ukraine and putting the pieces of the Soviet Empire back together again that would outlive Vladimir Putin. And there's, uh, I was reading today, and I, I, I watched a, a podcast interview uh, with a young guy. He teaches at the University of Toronto. His name is Michael Millerman. It's a very controversial guy. We'll probably try to get him on the show at some point. And I don't agree with everything he says, and you won't either if you hear him. But 
he uh, has made his his uh, study or his expertise of a guy named Alexander Dugan, uh, who is the sort of the guru for Vladimir Putin. So he's Putin's idea guy. And he's a crazy-looking guy. He looks like Rasputin. I mean, he's, he's, he looks the part. And he's got this notion about uh, the greatness of the Russian nation and the importance of restoring it. And it's not about communism. It's about nationalism. And he has this very um, definite idea about how decadent and weak and feckless and useless the West is, meaning us and NATO. And, and so... This is the guy whose ideas are carrying the day. And that's why I think we have to be careful not to believe that everything we we hate about Russia is Putin. See, we do that with our own politics, right? So if you hated Trump, everything was about him. If you hated Obama, everything was about him. But deep down, you know that's not true. You know that's not right. You know that that even if those guys were the 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 biggest figureheads or the lar- loudest voices for a particular school of thought, they weren't the only one. That's why it's called a school of thought. There is a school of thought in Russia. It's not one guy. And then the other hot take is we should do a no-fly zone. And I think it's ironic that people are saying, well, we can't, we can't fight a war, but let's do a no-fly zone, which would lead to one. I mean, I'm pretty sure once you start shooting down another country's airplanes, I don't know what what else you would call that. I think that would be war, right? So the no-fly zone, to me, has two disadvantages. One, it, it doesn't avoid what you're claiming you want to avoid, but it also backs you into it. So instead of going in with this big-picture strategy, where you know how you you know you start out knowing how you want to end up you just add things in reactively you just keep reacting to your opponent you know i i like to play chess and i don't profess to be good at it but one of the things that makes you a good chess player and i wish i was a better one is you have to see the whole board and you have to see the whole game and most of us when we play chess or any game casually we just react to each other's moves you, you do this, and so I do that. But a really great chess player, or I suppose anybody, if you're Bill Belichick or you're, you know, Greg Popovich or, or anything that somebody has proven a long-term excellence at, you have to see the whole game board. You have to see the whole game. You have to know at the beginning how it's going to end up or how you want it to end up. I think it's interesting that when you read about World War II, they were having meetings early on about how it would look at the end. And you could say, well, how did they even know they were going to win? They didn't know. But they knew how they wanted it to end if they were in a position to making to make it end that way. We knew how we wanted the island hopping campaign in the Pacific to go. We knew how we were going to uh, advance on Europe by going into Af- uh, Northern Africa. We knew how we were going to fight the naval battles and the air campaigns and how they would add and build onto each other and, and lead to the gaining of enemy ter- enemy held uh, territory. And so you, 
you didn't just say, well, we'll, we'll see what today brings. <laughs> we'll see what the enemy does today and we'll react to it. That's not how you win. And that's the problem with this kind of thinking like no-fly zones. It's reactive. It's emotional. It's incremental. And then it ultimately doesn't keep you out of war. It just backs you into one. I want to go in with my eyes open, don't you? If we're going in at all. And I think you have to take people to war, right? You have to, you have to take people and, and, and people have to believe that this is, there's no other choice. It has to have an inevitability to it that this does not have. So I don't know about you, but I, I can think of a lot of things we should not do. And it seems like the people in charge are doing all of them. 210-599-5555. Here's another one. They're arguing about whether or not to ban Russian oil. We're still buying several hundred thousand barrels a day. If we do that, the argument goes, we will hurt their marketplace. Well, maybe, but they can always sell it to somebody else. China has said, we'll buy it. If we do that, others point out, our prices will go up. The global price of oil will go up, and our price will go up. And so the argument is, well, if you do that, then you have to offset it by doing more drilling and and, uh, extraction here in the United States. But even if you started that today, that doesn't mean you can control the pump price tomorrow or next week. It would take time to get back to the level we were at when we were energy independent in 2019 and 2020. So... This is another one of those things where it, it's a hot take. It sounds like, oh, this is the thing to do. But it's more complicated. And again, it's incremental. It's not thinking of the whole picture, the big picture. How do we want this to end up? What do we want at the end of this? Like, believe it or not, it might not be a bad idea if we're engaging Russia right now to think about our future with Russia, not just Russia's future in Ukraine, but... Where, where do we want this whole struggle to go? What do we want out of this? Long term, past Ukraine. What about China? What about the Iran nuclear deal? What about Taiwan? It's, it's easy to just react to what they did today or what we saw on our television screens today. Oh, look at this. We Look what just happened. We need to react. Here's a reaction. Yeah, we got to do better than that, right? We used to. We can. We're talking everything right now. I mean, it's all out there, right? It's all in front of us here right now. 210-599-5555. Sometimes I'll meet people and they'll say, what do you, you, know, what do, you do for a living? And I'll tell them, oh, really? Well, well, they always want to know, um, what kind of a show is it? And I know what they mean by that is, you know, like, are you a conservative or a liberal or whatever? And I, I, I like to think of it more in terms of not what my... Uh, ideology is, but just we cover a lot of ground. And we talk about what's in the news, we talk about culture, we talk about sports, we talk about faith, we talk about families and kids and employee appreciation day. How are you doing with that? 210-599-5555. If you didn't know, it's probably too late now. <laughs> if, you're, if your company missed it, today was National Employee Appreciation Day. Hopefully they they got you covered. I can remember 
I've, I've been doing talk radio for a long time, and I can remember there used to be times, maybe you remember this too if you're a listener, a long-time listener, there used to be times that the news was slow. I mean, we had periods of time. I can remember there'd be weeks where we would say to each other, the producers and I, we say, boy, you know, there's really nothing happening. And, you know, there was always something happening. We always found something to talk about, or you'd do something lighter or whatever. But, um, boy, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore, does it? You get the feeling things are coming at us faster and heavier than ever. And I don't know if that's a perception or that's the, the world really is sort of becoming more splintered and unpredictable and chaotic. And Like I was looking today, one of those this day in history things, this was a big deal when it happened, and it, it, it seems laughable now. Do you remember when Martha Stewart went to prison? <laughs> Do you remember that? I mean, it's just this is this was a major a major deal. So Martha Stewart, the uh, who was the the queen of sort of lifestyle living and. Um, you know, how to do this and how to do that and how to entertain. And uh, she was larger than life. She was so big, she couldn't be contained on one channel or one show or one magazine. She became a like a medium all her own. And she got caught up in a stock trading thing. I'm a little vague on the details now, but um, she... You know, like like a lot of people, probably didn't know everything she should have known about what she was signing or participating in. There was this case of, of uh, a phony stock. And so anyway, she wound up being convicted and sentenced to, I believe, about three or four months uh, in prison. And this was the day in 2005 that she was uh, released. And... The reason I bring this up is because it's hard to imagine that that was a major topic of conversation at the time, but it was. I mean, today, if something like that happened today, I'm not saying it wouldn't get coverage or wouldn't be in the news, but I don't know that it could be the headline, and it was. And it's funny how things have changed. Even, you know, I would say even celebrity news isn't what it used to be. Um, it's still there. There's a lot of it. But uh, we somehow aren't able to indulge in losing ourselves in it the way we, you know, the way we once did or the way we, the way we used to. I'll tell you a quick story. This is a true story. When I was uh, being hired to come to San Antonio by the other station in 1994... They uh, set me up to do an audition. So they brought me into town. This was September of 1994. They brought me into town. And, um, you know, it, it was kind of pressure, but I had a job. I wasn't too worried. If I didn't get this one, I'd still be okay. Anyway, I, I had been talking up in New York. I had been talking all day, every day. We had been analyzing the O.J. Simpson trial so 
I figured, okay, you know what to do. Just come down here and, and do that. I, you know, we booked the guests I would have booked up there. We framed it with the questions we would have asked up there. And here, it went nowhere. And I learned that people didn't care as much. I'm not saying they didn't care at all. They didn't care as much about that trial as they did up in the Northeast. And so all of a sudden, now I'm having a really bad audition. Really struggling. Overnight, between the, <clears throat> between the first show and the, the next day's show, because it was two days, there was a shooting where a guy, and I'm, I, again, I don't remember all the details, but there was a guy that had been, he'd been robbed or his car had been broken into or some, a bunch of things had happened where he was basically now staying up all night watching, waiting for the, the perps to come back and hit him again. And this time when they hit him again, he shot him. So I'm no dummy. When we got on the air that day, we talked about that. And everybody had an opinion about it. So it's true that people's priorities have changed. It's also true that, you know, from one part of the country to another, as big a country as we are and as diverse a country as we are, we're not all into the same things. Like the Martha Stewart story, probably a bigger story on the coasts than it was here. Although it was still a big story at the time, it really was. Um, and I, I don't know if you remember this or not, but she ha- now she seems like sort of a, she's almost like a punchline now. You know, they, they put her in commercials, kind of like a do you remember me kind of figure, you know. I don't actually know all the things she's doing now. I haven't kept up. So, but, but at the time, there were people that so admired her that they were convinced she was a victim. She had been set up she had been framed she was kind of like it was kind of like the way people felt about oj you know this this can't be true we know her it's like they said about oj we, that's oj simpson he didn't even kill somebody so you got that going on too well the jail time actually gave her some street cred it did i think you know i probably made her more like gritty and relatable because we've all done jail time and you know that way she seemed like uh one of us i'm just kidding her all and us have, Snoop Dogg have been doing some joint marketing as well <laughs> see yeah now see if i i wonder i wonder if i wonder if she wonder what her career would have been like or if she's even still have one had that not happened so there you go so if you get sent to jail moral of the story is if you get sent to jail um, you'll just have a different career when you come out. Don't worry about it. 210-599-5555. Coming up the dish. Uh, speaking of history, um, since we're on a little roll here with history, this is also the day um, in 1801 that we inaugurated a president in Washington, D.C. for the first time, and that was Thomas Jefferson. I love the fact that Thomas Jefferson, you know the, the, the history there, where Jefferson was... John Adams, vice president, and then ran against him for president. And the 1800 election was a disputed election. It was almost the end of the whole American experiment. I mean, here we are, a brand new country. We've only had two presidents. We've only had a few elections. And it goes to the House of Representatives, and they had numerous uh votes to settle the electoral college tie 
which wound up making Thomas Jefferson the president. But that campaign of Jefferson versus Adams, you know, here they are, both founding fathers, both part of the founding generation, both went through the struggles, both present at the creation of the Constitution. Um, they became bitter enemies. And they went years without talking to one another or communicating, and they uh, each badmouthed the other. But they were destined to live a long time. Adams and Jefferson outlived the rest of the founding generation, or most of them. In fact, you probably know they both died on the same day in 1826, and it was July 4th. And not only was it July 4th, same day, same year, but it was the 50th birthday of the Declaration of Independence. By the time they died, they had made up. They had become friends again, mainly through letters. They weren't getting out much anymore, but they would write to each other, and they wrote these fantastic letters, exchanging ideas and viewpoints. And And I always laugh when I think about this, because, you know, I, I kind of see myself as kind of a a grumpy old man, they they got to where they were kind of, you know, grumping about um, the way things were going. They, were, they weren't happy with the way their successors were, were governing, the way the parties were working, the way Congress was working, the way the Federal Reserve, the Supreme Court, all that stuff was not, had not lived up to their expectations. They were worried. This is only, you know, this is only 44. 40 years in, right? They're already they're already thinking, "Oh, this is this isn't working. This isn't going to hold together." And uh, and so that brought them together, that that sense of concern uh after they had gone through this terrible bitter uh kind of rivalry. But uh it's a great it's a great story. It's great. It's incredible to me that I mean, you couldn't write a movie script like that where they both pass away on the same day on such a monumentally significant day it almost makes you wonder i mean you and i weren't weren't there but were they were they holding out (laughs) were they were they trying to make that that uh that anniversary yeah i guess it's possible right sometimes you wonder if maybe they were each of them was was trying to outlive the other one you know Maybe that was like one final act of rivalry. I'm going to outlive him. You you think he's old. I'm going to live longer than he did. So They both made it to July 4th, 1826, and we've made it to this point more or less. 210-599-5555. We'll be talking restaurants coming up here after the news on 550 and 1071 KTSA. We played that um, soundbite yesterday from um, Jennifer Granholm, the Secretary of Energy, where she's telling us to just deal with the gas prices. Do you still have that done? This is uh, Jennifer Granholm saying, uh, you got to suck it up about these gas prices because we're in a transition. Listen to this. But the bottom line is that this president and this administration are looking at every single tool to shield American families from the impact of rising energy prices. And we're working through, we're working through an energy transition. Mm. So it's a transition. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say right now, I think that might be the new excuse to cover all circumstances. You know, if you don't finish all your work at work and your boss is like, where are you going? You're not, you know, we're in a transition right now. 
Or if you have to put an excuse sign up on your business, you know, maybe, hey, sorry, folks. We're not fully stocked. We're not fully staffed. We're going through an energy transition right now. We're transitioning. I mean, that's already kind of a, a catchword, right? People, when they when people are transitioning, you know, you're not supposed to say anything. You're not supposed to ask any questions. Well, just let's let's go with Jennifer Granholm's excuse. This is just an energy, an energy transition. And the good thing about it is, we can keep it going as long as we need it, right? So this this excuse has no expiration date on it. It's just a transition. That's that's all. So happy transitioning. Beans and cornbread had a fight. Beans, Beans knocked cornbread out of sight. Beans. Cornbread said, "Now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night." Well, now we come to the part of the week that's very different. It's not like any other hour of any other day of our show, and it's probably not like anything else that you hear on talk radio. But we're going to talk about restaurants. We're going to talk about your most recent visit to, experience with. A restaurant, we call it The Dish. And we're taking your calls right now. Everyone can play. 210-599-5555. Maybe you uh, have a favorite place you want to sing the praises of. Maybe you found a place recently that's become a new favorite. You know, people will say, I've, I discovered this place and now I've been there three times this week. Or maybe it's a new place and you, you want to let everybody know it's there. It's finally open. Uh, but it can be any kind of food, any kind of price, any kind of, it can be dine in, it can be drive through, it can be to go or delivery. It can be in San Antonio or anywhere outside San Antonio. You can praise or zing. And when folks vote, they order what they want. And in this case, they got what they asked for. <laughs> what is with the accent? Where is that coming from? Anyway, praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience on the dish right now, 210-599-5555. That's what we're doing, plus we're taking your last-minute votes on the JR poll about Employee Appreciation Day. We'll have the results on the JR poll right at the end of this hour. How would you like to win free beer for an entire year? Free beer for the whole year. What do I have to do? Sure, you're asking right now, unless you don't like beer. You can win a um, year's supply of beer if you get a mullet. You win the beer from the people at Natural Light who've started a social media campaign entitled Get a Mullet, Get Natty. Make your own joke at home. I know. I don't know. Getting natural light almost doesn't seem... That seems like the second place prize. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, second place is two years worth. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So if you've already got a mullet, you're, you know, put your mullet to work. If you've been thinking about one and you like beer, you know what to do. Hashtag Natty Vintage. Natural light. Get a mullet. Give you a beer. 210-599-5555 as we take your calls to praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience on the dish. And again, any kind of, uh, even if you think, well, they've heard about this place or I know they've had calls on it before, we still want your call. Still want to hear what you're going to say about it. 
We'll get to those and the JR poll results all coming up this hour on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. By the way, there was a, um, I feel like a mullet might have been involved. There was a story out of Florida, uh, police in Venice, Florida, uh, arrested a man for ramming his pickup into a home, not his own. 38-year-old Anthony Antonaris was uh, sitting in the bed of his Chevy Silverado when police showed up. The radio was blaring the song Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus. Heavy damage to the truck and to the garage doors and one of the window uh, windows of the house. Antonaris told officers his foot slipped, but witnesses say he had repeatedly reversed and driven into the home. So, Wrecking Ball. Miley Cyrus. Yeah, I think I think the chances that there was either a mullet or a natty light or a mullet and natty light in that story, I think are pretty good. I'm gonna, I don't think I'm going out on a limb on that one. Um, all right, let's start on the dish with Debbie on KTSA. Happy Friday, Debbie. Happy Friday. So last weekend um, we tried out a new place called Rusty Taco on Valverde. It's um, by the HEB that's at Fulverde and 1604. So I don't know what to say about it. It, it, it was it was good, but it wasn't uh, worth the price, I guess is what I'll say. Okay. It was uh, a little bit on the pricey side. Um, I, I think I spent about $45, and um, my son had two tacos. I had two tacos. I think my daughter only had one. And then my son-in-law had an order of nachos. And then we Wait all a minute. That, so that came to $45? Yes. <laughs> uh, wow. I know. <laughs> uh, and I've never been to Torchy's, but my uh, kids said that it reminded them of Torchy's. So I guess hmm. that's... I don't know. I don't know why it was so pricey. And the tacos what? weren't even that big. They were like little street tacos. Yeah. So if they had been priced in a way that you considered reasonable, would you have liked the tacos? Yeah, I think it would have tasted a lot better if I hadn't had to pay so much money for the little bit of food we got. Yeah. Okay. I mean, my, so. son, my son had to go back and, and buy two more tacos because it, the, the little tacos you get are, are just a little, mm. like a regular size uh, corn tortilla with stuff in it so it's like what they call a street taco so they were pretty small and um so he he started out ordering two of them and then he had to go back and get two more because two wasn't enough two was enough for me but it wasn't enough for my son don't don't go to rusty taco if you're hungry right (laughs) because you're gonna have to go back and order more if you're if you're hungry yeah, right, Debbie. But, Sorry that happened, but so thanks for calling the dish. Appreciate the call. Uh, a zing for Rusty Taco, seventeen zero two six Bulverde Road. And when folks vote, they order what they want, and in this case, they got what they asked for. <laughs> That's a we didn't edit that. That's an actual line from her. And I don't know if that's a dig at, at Biden or what's, what, I don't know what that means. But 
I do know that over the course of about two sentences, she seems to do like three or four different accents. It's like she's channeling other people. I guess if I was her, I'd channel other people too. I don't know. Uh, 210-599-5555, praise or zing, your most recent restaurant experience on the dish. Eddie is going to do that right now on KTSA. Eddie, good evening to you. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Praise. Ju- uh, Timeless Creations by Julie. Uh, she's a home baker, and she gets down. She does wedding cakes and such. Uh, she does all my kids' parties. Uh, birthday cakes are amazing. They look they look and taste amazing. Her cookies are oh. out of this world. Although I don't really like cookies, they look mm. amazing. She, she mm. doesn't have a storefront, I believe, but you can find her on Instagram or uh, Facebook, Timeless Creations oh, okay. by Julie. Really good. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now on Instagram, yeah. Pretty good. And uh, i probably give you diabetes in the long run, but, but it's really good. Not if you have a cake once in a while. You're not going to get diabetes unless you're eating it every day, right? They, they are truly good. I mean, it's, it's not a store-bought cake, so... Yeah. We got tired of the sheet cakes you buy, like H-E-B and whatnot. Not to, right. not to think that. You know, I love H-E-B, right. but they just, it's a generic taste. This is right. homemade. Everything yeah. is from scratch. And it's amazing. It really it really tastes good. I'm not, I don't like too many sweets. Yeah. But this is really good. I mean. It's yeah, I'm kind of with you. I mean, if I'm going to have sweets, I want them to be really good. I want to make it count because I'm not going to do that too often. So, very good, Eddie. I'm glad you called about that. It's uh, on Instagram, it's uh, Timeless Creations by Julie. Timeless Creations by Julie on Instagram. 210-599-5555. And Roland is on KTSA. Happy Friday, Roland. Roland, are you there? Yes, there. Hey, how you doing? Hello, yeah, I'm here. Okay, Roland. <laughs> Yeah. Being there is not enough. You got to have something to say. Sorry. Uh 210-599-5555. You know um if you know anybody that works like in a ER or a trauma center, they're not supposed to obviously, you know, supposed to keep the privacy of patients and all that, but they're going to tell you the war stories. They're going to tell you the things they see and the stuff that goes on, the crazy things people come in with. There's a story out of India today. I'm, if you work in healthcare, this is probably not going to shock you, but there was a man that went to the hospital in India. He had uh, abdominal pain, and he was constipated, and they started doing ultrasounds, and he had a um, a drinking glass inside his rectum. And, you know, at that point, I mean, it's awkward, right? I mean, there's who wants to tell him that, right? So that I'm looking at the images with the story. I mean, he's got a whole drinking glass, like a like a juice glass, up in there, up in there. And um, they were able to um, remove it. They actually had to operate on him to do it. And of course, at some point, they're going to ask you what what what, uh, what happened here. And and with these kinds of things, people just do not tell the truth. They're just not going to tell you the truth. So he told them. He told the doctors. I mean, they had a whole team of people. He said that he had been drinking tea. 
And in his enthusiasm, he swallowed the glass. And I know what you're thinking. Like I said, it is a normal size, not a thimble. It's a normal size like a, like a juice glass or water glass. The doctors are saying, well, that, that's not possible. It, the, the, you know, that, that wouldn't go down that way. And he insisted that that's what happened. He is, uh, sticking to his story. But I'm sure just the sheer number and variety of objects that wind up in that particular location alone, you could fill a book, right? On the other hand, it's not a book any of us really would want to read. So maybe you shouldn't. So he's okay. He's recovering. And he is uh, sticking to his story. You know how some people really rave about certain iced tea? Like people say, oh, you got to have the iced tea from this place or that place. That must have been some kind of tea. He's drinking it down. Down goes the glass. Okay. Okay. Stick with your story. 210-599-5555. He, he, he gets to keep the glass, by the way. Nobody wants it. So. Talking restaurants on the dish. We're taking your calls to praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience um, as we go along here on the dish. And, uh, again, it doesn't have to be... Um, doesn't have to be a new place. It doesn't have to be your first time there. If you want to sing the praises of an old favorite, if you want to give a shout-out to a place that's always been good, that's always been reliable, that you've been going to for years, you want to let everybody know about it, you can do that, 210-599-5555. It says here that in um, Australia, they are doing a um, study of funnel web spiders and they are attaching tiny little trackers uh, to these spiders and releasing them into the brush to um, study and track how far the, the male will travel to mate. How far will the male travel in order to mate? Really, they didn't have to do this. They could have just asked any guy. <laughs> the answer is the same for all species, right? We will go as far as it takes. How far do we have to go? That's how far we'll go. Imagine this, though. Imagine you're, you're, you're capturing spiders and then, you know, delicately handling them. And then you're immobilizing them. You can't ask them to stand still. You can't say, just hold on for a minute. So you can somehow immobilize all eight legs. And then you're attaching this little tracker. And I mean, I don't care how small it is. This guy knows it's on his back. And you're letting him go. Now he's lumbering along with this thing on his back. And he's got to meet some girl spider. And of course, right away, she's going to be like, what's that on your back? And he's going to be like, what? What are you talking about? I don't know what you mean. And she's going to be like, I don't know. I don't know about this guy. And he's nice looking. But he's got this thing on his back. Do they think these things through when they do this? Is there really that much scientific value in determining how far a horny funnel web spider will go? I mean, have they exhausted the more obvious things to study? Are we 
I guess because we've got COVID on the run. <laughs> Some scientist somewhere was like, well, now that cases are down, we can resume our work on the funnel web spider. Let's get to it, team. All right, 210-599-5555. Cody is on the dish on KTSA. Hi, Cody. Hi there. How's it going? It's going. How are you doing? Good, good. Doing well. Enjoy. About to enjoy this weekend. Yes. So uh, I went to Bubba's 33 on Wednesday and uh, couldn't eat meat, so I went ahead and tried some fish. Best thing I think I've ever had. Wow. What were they doing with it? Excuse I'm sorry. Say again. I was asking you what did they what did they do? What kind of fish was it? What did they do with it? Yeah, so it's an Atlantic cod, and I guess it's all never frozen, made from scratch. Uh, I had, of course, I had to go with the chips, so I just had regular fries. But their mashed potatoes, made from scratch as well, are just amazing. It was a, such a good pair. I'd never been there before, and a friend recommended it, so. I definitely mm-hmm. will be going back. Apparently, the shrimp is amazing too. Is that the one that's um, over by like uh, four ten and military? Yes, yeah, most definitely right there at uh, across okay. from the academy. Had never been. Yeah, I've seen it, and I know there's other ones, but I've seen that one, and I've been one wondering wondering about it. So they have uh, they have a lot of other things, but you were getting the fish because it was Ash Wednesday, and it was definitely good. Do they have the fish every day, or did, was that a special? They have they have fish and shrimp every day, but apparently their their pizza again. I mean, everything's made from scratch, but they have a stone baked oven, so that's what I'm going to go try next. I believe. All right, uh, seventy five eighteen Northwest Loop four ten at military for Bubba's thirty three. Got to try the fish. There's Cody. Cody, thanks for the call and the dish. Appreciate it. Uh, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Daryl is on the dish on KTSA. Hi, Daryl. Hey, Jack. How are you doing, buddy? Good. How are you? Good, man. Great show. Listen, I want to get a, you. give you a, uh, give everybody a heads up for Winchester's on Broadway uh, in uh, in Alamo Heights. Great little uh, English-style pub. They got the soccer on most days. But everything that comes out of that kitchen, Jack, is just outstanding. They, they make a scotch egg. If you know what a scotch egg is, it's a hard-boiled egg covered with sausage and they do it with chorizo uh or chorizo if you want to say it that way and they do it in such a way that the yolk stays stays runny but the but the egg gets hard and the sausage on the outside is deep fried it's the best i've had uh, scotch eggs in, over in europe i've had a memory it's the best scotch egg i've ever had in my whole life is the winchester the place that went in where the lion and rose used to be that's right yes Yes. Okay. All right. Um, I, I, I've wondered like about that place too. I, I I don't know how long it's been there, but I've been kind of curious about it. So, what is it like inside? Is it is it kind of like the Lion and Rose, or is it different, or kind of like that? Dark, you know, the the classic pub feel inside Jack. Uh, you know, right. dark woods, dark you know, dark carpet, dark everything. Uh, but mm-hmm. but real loud rock music from the sixties and seventies plays the whole time. Okay. But but I mean the everything that we've ever had over there the fish and chips everything steak and kidney pie uh, you know uh, shepherd's pie everything over there is just fantastic that that comes out of that kitchen. So uh, people should go over there and check it out. It's a it's a great little place to to eat. Excellent. Fifty one forty eight Broadway. 
Uh, it's right next to another place I really love, which is Sorrento. Is Sorrento still there? Yeah, Sorrento's still there. The, yeah, that's another great place. Um, I love uh, that place. Yeah. Yeah, get into Winchester's. You'll you'll uh, you'll you'll probably have this the same reaction that I did. And by the way, I'll great do show, that. Jack. Thank you, Daryl. Appreciate you saying that, and appreciate the call. It's our first time call for the Winchester. There, Brutus in Russia. Is there a more successful Colonel Stoppenberg in the <laughs> Russian military? The only way this ends, my friend, is for somebody in Russia to take this guy out. You would be doing your country a great service and the world a great service. Hmm. So now Lindsey Graham is like, um, he's like the godfather. He's, he's ordering hits. Take him out. Do it. Oh my gosh, what what's I, I love South Carolina. I, great people, great state. Love uh, you know, love Tim Scott. But what 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 is Lindsey Graham really? Come on, South Carolina. Come on, Gamecocks. Let's go here. Fix that. All right, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. We're talking restaurants on the dish. We'll have the results on the JR poll coming up. Alex is on the dish on KTSA. Happy Friday, Alex. Happy Friday. Uh, thanks for taking my call, and really love the show. I've always been a big fan. Oh, thank you. Um, so yeah, I want to uh, send my praises to Cineholic. It's a little, it's a little restaurant that's literally across the street from Rosario's downtown, and they have, I, I believe, the world's best cinnamon rolls. Um, that's all they do: is cinnamon rolls and. Um, but it's amazing, and I've, I've, I thought I knew what cinnamon rolls are supposed to taste like until I had those. <laughs> wow. Unbelievable. Now, I'm trying to think. I might have seen this place. Is it next to that or near that Gus's world-famous fried chicken place? I, I have no idea. But I feel like I mean, it might be near. Yeah, it's right next to, uh, like, uh, Credit Human and Rosario's. Downtown. Okay. Okay. And maybe it's maybe it's, like, nearby but not right near it. Um, so it's called Cineholic, and all they have, basically all they have are, are these, these cinnamon rolls. Yeah, cinnamon rolls, and they have, you know, they have really decadent kinds. Um, I've always just gotten, I think it's called the old school, which is just the basic, but I mean, I, I really can't, you know, try anything else because it's just so good. Yeah. Um, looks like they have them with, uh, looks like they have them with like creme brulee on top and berries and nuts and chocolate and all that. Wow. Holy Toledo! Yeah, I, I feel like this should be a franchise everywhere because I mean it's just I'm surprised. I, I think I don't know how new it is, but it's really good. That does sound It'll good. All right, eight eight twelve South Alamo, eight twelve South Alamo for Cineholic. Alex, thank you for the call. Thank you for the nice words. I'm glad you called the dish tonight. Thank you, sir. Cineholic, another one we have uh, this first time call on the dish for that one. Um, eight twelve South Alamo near Rosario's. Uh, a lot of good. A lot of neat little places and good places. I mentioned that Gus's world famous fried chicken, Rosario's is down there. Ton of places, bars, South Alamo, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. You know what's great about being in Southtown is you've got like some of that Austin, 
vibe, but then you're not in Austin. You know, you you leave Southtown, you're still in a sane place. Just saying, you know, you go to Austin, you're in Austin. You're surrounded by Austin. You go to Southtown, you get a little piece of that, but you don't have to depart sanity. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience. Kind of a wide variety tonight. I'm looking here at the calls we've had, you know, tacos and pub food and cinnamon rolls and all kinds of things. So really, any kind of food, any kind of price, any any part of town, in or around San Antonio, 210-599-5555. Make the call to praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience. Remember Jeff Gordon? I don't mean remember like he's no longer with us, but the, the great NASCAR driver Jeff Gordon. I remember he just sold, he had a mansion in Florida. I'm not sure where this is, Highland Beach, Florida. I'm sure it's a very nice community. Probably why I don't know where it is. Uh, but anyway, he just sold his mansion, uh, $36 million. It says that the mansion comes with, among other things, I mean, it's got beachfront and it's got all these other things. The mansion comes with a car museum. I'm not clear on whether the cars are included, but basically there's a wing of the museum, of the house, rather, that is set up. You know, it's got special flooring and climate control to hold collectible cars. So the interior can hold about six cars, give or take. And then there's a motor court, like an, uh, an, an, an I guess you'd say a, a big patio area that can hold a couple of dozen cars. And then there's a seven-car garage. And it would make sense that Jeff Gordon would have all that, right? And when I read this, not that I'm going to buy it, but when I read this, I I was thinking about, you ever have those conversations? You ever do this with your friends where you'll say, what would you do if you win the lottery? Or what would you what would you buy if you won the lottery? Or where would you live? Or how would you live? And I, over the years, I've come up with my answer to that. And my answer is, if I want a ton of money, I mean, this would have to be like one of those, you know, it, it, you know, it, I'm not talking like you win... 10 grand or 100 grand, if you won millions and millions of dollars, I would want to live in a place where I could collect classic cars, now stay with me, and have them in the house. So I want to do what Jeff Gordon did. I don't mean in the house like, you know, you walk in the living room and you bang your shin on the bumper of a car, although I would be okay with that. I'm not actually saying that. But I want the cars in the house, collectible cars. So I want to have cars that you would only display, and then I want to have cars that I would drive, collectible cars that I would drive. And I've already kind of worked up the cars. I kind of know where I'm going with the cars. And I haven't decided which ones would be in the house. Probably the ones in the house would be so pristine and perfect you wouldn't drive them. And then I want to have like what they call survivors. If you know classic cars, I want to have like survivors where... The car isn't fully restored. It's got the original paint. Maybe it's faded or oxidized a little bit. But, you know, that's the car you drive. So mechanically it's sound, but the body is in original condition. Yeah. But I want the cars in the house. That's my thing. 
So this sounds perfect, except that I don't have $36 million and I don't want to move to Florida. But other than that, this sounds per- Thank you, Jeff Gordon. This is just what I was looking for. Now I just need that winning lottery ticket, a couple of other things. <laughs> Good to go. Hopefully that'll all work out. I'll keep you posted. Gentlemen, the president of the the vice president of the. <laughs> I just said that to make you laugh. <laughs> well, that is uh, it's bizarre how often Joe and Jill, that was Jill Biden, the first lady, refer to Kamala Harris as the president. I mean. That would kind of mess with your head after a while, you know? People keep calling you the President of the United States, right? You know, kind of start doing a number on you. Before we get to the results in the JR poll, by the way, I don't know if you've heard this or not. President Kamala Harris was on an interview, and the interviewer asked her a, a good question. How would you explain Ukraine and Russia... And what's going on over there to the layman? Now, the layman just means somebody who's not a foreign policy guru, right? Somebody who's not immersed in this stuff. Listen to the explanation Kamala Harris gives to the layman. If you're watching any level of news, even social media, you're seeing everything that's going on right now in the Ukraine. Break it down in layman's terms for people who don't understand what's going on and how can this directly affect the people of the United States. So Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically that's wrong. Can't argue with any of that, um, factually. <laughs> I mean, how 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 stupid does she think we lay people are? I mean, we're lay people. We're not lame people. So it's a country named Ukraine, and there's another country named Russia. It's almost like you can almost picture her like she's acting it out with stuffed animals. You know, she wasn't, but... It sounds almost like she would have, right? Or like or like she might have drawn on an easel. You know. <laughs> and she's who we're, and she's who we're sending this weekend back to Europe to try to save the day. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So mm. basically that's wrong. It's wrong. Well, I hope she lets them know that. Has anyone told them that's wrong? Kamala Harris is going to tell them. Whew, can't make up stuff like this. All right, JR poll question tonight, uh, sponsored by Stevens Roofing across all of our platforms. We asked you, today is Employee Appreciation Day. And so in honor of Employee Appreciation Day, do you feel appreciated at work? And the answer is yes, you do. 63% said yes, 37% no. We'll have a new question come Monday. We get started at 4, but you can find the JR poll anytime at KTSA.com. Speaking of work, Mike Chachevsky is about to retire 
as the longtime head coach of the Duke's, Duke men's basketball team. And tomorrow is the final home game for Coach K uh, when Duke takes on UNC. To give you an idea of what a big deal this is, according to USA Today, tickets for the final home game are more expensive than the cheapest seats at Super Bowl 56, which was just played. And usually Super Bowl tickets are the, you know, that's usually the gold standard of a sporting event, right? That's usually the most expensive sporting event ticket. Uh, the tickets uh, for this game are more than the lowest price tickets for the Super Bowl. He is uh, obviously one of the best coaches in history. Five national titles. Uh, took over in 1980 as coach of the Blue Devils. He has an incredible record. His record is 1,123 wins against 306 losses. And you got to remember, when you're coaching college sports... You're always starting over. You know how they say with, with pro teams, you know, they'll say, oh, this is a rebuilding year for this franchise or this team in baseball or football or whatever. Well, you're always rebuilding. You're always restocking in college, whether it's football or basketball or what have you. Uh, they're having a great year this year, and uh, this is his, this is his uh, swan song. So, And you got to say about, uh, I don't know if you're a college basketball fan or not. I I am a college basketball fan, and this is going to sound weird. I've never really been a Duke fan. I don't hate him or anything. I've just never really been enthused about Duke. But I do know enough to know, when you hear people talk about him, he isn't just a winning coach. He is so much more to the young men that have come through that uh, program. I mean, you, you you get all the gaudy statistics, all the awards, all the national titles, but um, what impresses me and what ultimately matters the most, because he is a college coach, and so nominally he is a teacher, right, as well as a coach, is that the way guys talk about the interest that he took in them, the impact that he had on them, and... Sometimes when we talk about college sports programs, we, we, we talk in terms or the score the scorecard is, well, how many guys went on to play in the NBA? And a lot of Duke players went on to play in the NBA. But the incredible thing about Coach K and Duke is that these guys who come through this program are generally winners and champions, even if they don't play in the NBA. So his his young men go on to be winners in life, not just in basketball. And that's the ultimate compliment. That's really what this is supposed to be all about. There's a lot of controversy about him. He was um, the Team USA coach for a while, and some people didn't like that, and some people did. um, But you can't argue with, I think, not only his, his record, but again, more importantly, the record of human beings that came out of and came through his program at Duke. That's that's the legacy, and I'm sure that's the thing that he's probably most proud of as he walks away from it after all these years. So good luck, Coach K. Final Duke home game. Well, final regular season Duke home game uh, tomorrow. Uh, the way they're playing, I think they're going to play into the tournament, maybe a long way, maybe all the way. 
Um, we're back here on Monday. We get started at 4 live on the radio. But remember, you can get this show on demand whenever you want, as much as you want, on the Jack Riccardi page at KTSA.com. Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia.